Val, would you do that? Uh, ask God blessings on our reflections this morning. Father, we uh, come to you this morning so grateful for all that you do for us, the way you watch over us, care for us each and every day. Father, we would ask that you would uh, bless this food to our bodies, bless us to your service, that everything we do might bring honor and glory to you. Uh, we thank you for this time that we have to gather with brothers and study your word and come closer to you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Jeff, uh, I don't know whether you're on the uh, list. I got it and I printed it off, but I left it at home. Okay, there's I a really copy. There. I got an extra copy. Yeah. <clears throat> Okay, we're in the book of James. Uh, talks about wisdom in verses 5 through 8. Uh, somebody want to read those verses for us? Get those in front of us here. Sal, would you do that? You look like you've got it open there. If any of you lacks wisdom, that's God. Look at that, huh? And it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith, no doubting. When he doubts, like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double minded and stable in all his ways. Okay. So he, James just tells the, and it's kind of interesting, it looks like he's kind of jumping from one subject to the other. Verses 2, 3, and 4, he was talked about when you face various trials. In fact, this is a, kind of the theme of the conference. Uh, let your endurance um, count it all joy. And then he starts talking about wisdom. Uh, and, but maybe that has something to do with when you're going through a trial. Uh, as for wisdom, how do you handle your trials? How do you handle temptations? And he says, you know, just ask. Ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you, right? That's not pretty simple, straightforward, then. Do you, do you want to... <laughs> Do you want to have a prayer that you know will be answered with a yes and an affirmative? Well, here's one. That's right. And you know it will be answered. And why, why is it that you, you, God will always answer a prayer for wisdom? Why would he do that? How, why would he make that unconditional promise? Or is that... Is that to go all the way back to Genesis, really, I think, to answer that. I mean, what was God's purpose to put man on earth? Yeah. It's just so that he could have communication with us. So if he's having communication with us, he wants to want to hear from us. He wants us to be wise. Right. Yeah. He wants us to have wisdom. He wants you to have the, this wisdom probably more than we want it. Right. Because he says, you know, don't doubt. Why, why could you possibly doubt? Uh, would you doubt because you don't think God has the ability to make you wise? Or is there another reason to doubt? Well, you is don't it, have communication, you have a two-way street. 
Yeah. Is there, is there another reason to doubt that God would give you wisdom? Besides the, besides the fact you wonder whether God's even able to. Lack of patience. How about, the, how about whether you really want wisdom? Do you really want it? Are you really open to it? Or do, or do we already have a mindset? You have wisdom means that you have to be open. I mean, any gift of God, you've got to be open to receive it. And if we've already figured out how wise we are, <laughs> in, the, in there a verse somewhere that says, "Don't be wise in your own conceits." She got it. Yeah. Where is where is that verse, Sal? Don't be wise in your own conceits. <laughs> do a do a search of the word conceits. Well, it's it's in there somewhere, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, that keeps us from uh, really wanting and being open to what God has for us. I always well, back to your ego, you know? I always say about the serenity prayer, too. You yeah. know the serenity prayer, God grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and should, and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, but but if you've got your your mind, if you're already set in a certain direction, you're not open to knowing the difference between what you can change and can't change. And a lot of times we get so focused even on things we can't change that we we're not really open to anything else. I think uh, I think sometimes uh, we have a problem because we don't recognize the wisdom that he gives us. We don't see this wisdom. You know, we, we pray for wisdom on a certain situation and we get an answer we don't like. Yeah. Okay, so obviously that can't be wise, right? Yeah. Because it's That's not what not we wanted. Right? It's not what we wanted. <laughs> and so we, and when that starts to happen, when we don't think we receive the gifts we pray for, we start to doubt that he'll give us any of the gifts we pray for. Proverbs talks a lot about wisdom, doesn't it? How important that is. Uh, and uh, there are a lot of different words kind of used to reflect about what is wisdom. And Proverbs 1, 2, 3, 4 uses the word instruction, wise dealing, knowledge, and prudence. <clears throat> Jesus to his disciples, I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of oils, so be wise as serpents. Wisdom is something that we really need, isn't it? Now, there is a wisdom uh, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, a worldly wisdom. Uh, he said, I didn't come with that kind of wisdom. But there is a What's the difference between a worldly wisdom and the wisdom that God promises to give? And the book of Proverbs encourages us to pay attention to it. Paul says, I didn't come with that kind of wisdom. That's not what my preaching is all about. So what, what's the difference between 
that kind of define worldly wisdom. What does the world say? Go off and find that person that's doing it well and mimic him or follow his guidance or follow his direction or follow him instead of trusting the one that sent his son and that's got his Holy Spirit within us. Yeah, the, right the cross of Christ, he says, I've determined to know nothing among you except Jesus yeah. Christ, right? Now, that's that doesn't appear to be very smart. <laughs> if you think about a way to save the world, you know, hang a man on a cross. Does that appear a very smart way to get anything done? Look, look at all of the uh, people who were mocking. You know, you say, you save others, save yourself. You can't even save yourself. What kind of savior is this? You know, that that look, it look, it sounds foolish, doesn't it? That God would save the world through the cross of Christ. See, the world that doesn't make any sense. Because there, there's another way of, uh, the way to get things done is in the power of the flesh, isn't it? Making yourself great rather than humbling yourself. That's, that's, uh, that's the worldly wisdom, isn't it? And the wisdom of God would, would lead you always probably to humbling yourself, wouldn't it? Yeah. And that, you know, that doesn't sound very smart to a person of the world. It doesn't feel smart to the flesh, does it? To humble yourself. And I got to thinking about this word prudence. <clears throat> you, you know, the, the four cardinal virtues that go back to ancient Greek philosophy and were brought over even in the Christian thought because they, they didn't make a lot of sense. You know what the four cardinal virtues are? The basic fundamental virtues. One of them is, is prudence. What are the other three? What are those? Justice. The scrambled eggs, bacon, and potatoes. Temperance and courage. If you can pass it around, please. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Justice, temperance, and courage. Cardinal Over easy bacon, right toast. Not right. This is your Thank you. So this one is this. Yeah, welcome. And then Christianity added though that those are natural human virtues that even the philosophers recognize were important and he has to have a good life. Oh, I'm sorry, English muffin. English muffin, there you go. And the rye toast is right down there. There are other virtues beyond those that are recognized. And there were three, three theological I'll get you some more milk. All right, thank you. You're welcome. I misunderstood. And those were faith, hope, and love. The supernatural virtues, which go beyond 
those natural virtues recognized by the natural man. Faith, hope, and love. Faith in God. And hope in His salvation. And love, of course, which is the greatest of all. Uh, but uh, thinking about prudence, uh, of the, of the four cardinal virtues, prudence, justice, fortitude, fortitude or courage, and wisdom um, are, are, are intemperance. Uh, I, I was in my reading this past week, I, I ran across a couple of examples of prudence, and I just quoted them here. Uh, uh, <coughs> The, somebody was said about the, this b balloon thing. The administration said that waiting until the balloon was off the coast to shoot it down was was prudent. Now, you know, you might debate whether that was prudent or not, but that was their justification that it was a more prudent thing to wait till it got off the coast. And then, uh, uh, and well, let me tell you, I, I visited the, that uh, Minuteman Missile site in Minot, North Dakota years ago, and the location, the exact location of the site is, is top secret. Just where it is, and this balloon flies right over it, I mean, you know, that's just, I can't believe that it goes because that's that's our nuclear that's our that's our response area you know in case of a nuclear attack yes it's a very important the location is very important I just I can't believe they allowed that to happen but uh, uh, another example I, I was reading this article in flying magazine about a, a young student pilot who took off at night and uh, he crashed two and a half miles from the airport uh, because he got into an area where really he would need to, to be on instruments to maintain control. He had his girlfriend with him, probably trying to show off to her. He in fact, he just purchased this airplane, although he's only 21 years old, had enough money <laughs> to buy an airplane. But it didn't even, and he didn't even have his private license yet, which was illegal to carry a passenger. Yeah, you know, to carry unless you got your and actually passed the test. So, uh, and, the art, and the guy talking about judgment, he says, the quality of judgment that we pilots are expected to possess and that is supposed to protect us and our passengers from actions that in retrospect will appear rash are completely idiotic. That kind of judgment, he says, comes under the broad heading of maturity. Maturity, another word, really, or prudent. It requires an ability to separate emotion from reason. He says, that sounds easy, but the decisions we consider rational are often influenced by biases, desires, and calculations of which we are barely or not at all aware. Desires and calculations and biases that we have. Sometimes we're hardly even aware of those things which are driving us in a certain direction. And that's the reason we need wisdom from God to overcome 
our natural bias. And unless you admit that you already have, have a natural bias, in other words, that you're not really as smart as, you, as, you, as we, I believe I am, I'm not as smart as I think I am. Unless I understand that, I'm not really open to the wisdom God can give. He says, in theory at least, we gain wisdom, maturity, and I'm going to, and I put there, wisdom slash prudence. We gain maturity from time and experience. Some get a lot, some get none at all. Doesn't <laughs> prudence, though, go back to thinking, uh, you know, put worldly thinking in that? How's I mean, that? Prudence. I mean, when you define prudence, it's I stop and I think about what I'm going to do before I do it? Well, it's the most important of the four cardinal virtues. Let's think about courage, fortitude. Courage is important, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But you need to be prudent before you do something that looks courageous but may be simply stupid or rash. <laughs> I totally agree. That's why I say there's yeah. a think so, moment in so that prudent, you see, you need prudence even to, and, and for example, doing justice, doing the right thing. You know, here's somebody who needs help. So should you give them money? Would that be the right thing to do? Well, it might not be. It might be. On the other hand, it might turn out not to be a very good thing, right? You, give, you can sometimes give people too much to become dependent. So is it prudent to do what appears to be the right thing? You see, prudence is necessary to exercise all the other virtues. Okay. You need wisdom. Uh, for example, even in being temperate, which is one of the four cardinal virtues, you know, not going too far to one extreme or the other, you need a sense of prudence to know you know, what is too far one direction or too far the other direction? So uh, this, this request for wisdom is maybe a lot more important than we give, we think about. Because, um, because the wisdom from God is really going to correct our own biases, our own prejudices. The, the, the fact that we already have a leaning to go in a certain direction anyway. Sometimes, you, and the emotions that, that tend to make us do things or lead us to do things, and we think that, you know, then we rationalize it. We seem reasonable because we feel like doing it. And we always give a reason for it, don't we? And, and wisdom is the one thing that corrects, corrects us and those biases and prejudices and emotional uh, thing are the emotions that would drive us in a certain direction. Uh, and God, he says, will give it if, if you're not, but of course if you're going to doubt, you know, you're like just the wave of the wind. He says, you're not going to receive anything unless you really depend upon God to give it. We really trust God, which really means being open to letting God 
features. And that's not very easy. Because our nature is not to be taught by the Spirit. Our carnal nature. I have a footnote here from Wikipedia about uh, about uh, the virtues. It, it, um, it is the cause in the sense of talking about prudence, which are defined to be the perfected ability of man as a spiritual person, a spiritual personhood in the classical Western understanding means having intelligence and free will. That's 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 just the humanistic understanding uh, and um, and prudence is the cause of that the virtues achieve their perfection they achieve their perfection only when they're founded upon prudence that is to say upon the perfected ability to make the right decisions for a person can live temperance when he has acquired the habit of deciding correctly the actions to take in response to his instinctual craving. The function of prudence is to point out which course of action is to be taken in any concrete circumstances. It has nothing to do with directly willing the good it discerns. Prudence has a directive capacity with regard to other virtues. It lights the way and measures the arena for their exercise. Without prudence, bravery becomes foolhardiness. Mercy seeks into weakness, free self-expression and kindness into censure, humility, into degradation and arrogance, selflessness into corruption, and temperance into fanaticism. That's, but even the, um, like I said, the philosophers and, and the humanists recognize that. Uh, and James says it's so important to ask God for wisdom. That's where it comes from. So we're going to pray for wisdom. What is it? What's wisdom? What is wisdom? Well, I think one aspect of wisdom is prudence, which I've been talking about. I don't think that's the only aspect of wisdom, but I think that's, that is one aspect of wisdom. The, uh, if you look at Proverbs 1 through, I quoted that in, in just that one verse there. He uses the word instruction. It has something to do with knowledge. Why, wise dealing and prudence and insight. Those are those are words. Uh, I don't know, what would you add to that, Sal? What, how would you? I don't know. It seems to me that. Uh, that wisdom is more an action as opposed to knowledge. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is information. Mm-hmm. Wisdom is what you do with that information. Yeah. How, yeah. Are you, well, how are you going to use it? Yeah, I was thinking wisdom is the combination of knowledge and experience applied. So you've got you, you can't you can't you, knowledge is just raw raw information, but it, what, having yeah having experience to know how to respond to that and and act is accordingly as wisdom. And I think true wisdom, true wisdom is when 
allow, in addition to your experience, you allow God to direct that action. Okay, that's true wisdom, as opposed to worldly wisdom. You know, worldly wisdom might result in worldly benefits. True wisdom results in God's purposes being fulfilled, which may not seem wise at all to the world. It may not may be counterintuitive to worldly wisdom. Often is. Often. The three virtues. It's one of the uh, warning signs, right? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> this seems to be worldly wise. You need to rethink it. Yeah. The three virtues of faith, hope, and love are not recognized. But it, but are natural philosophers. They're not recognized. Particularly love, which is the greatest of all. That was that's never been was never recognized as a great virtue. Love in the sense of agape, a total self-giving love that and willing a willingness to die for the sake of the other. That was not would not be considered a virtue. And, and a willingness to die for the sake of another that doesn't benefit you. Yeah. I mean, m most people would say, well, uh, they certainly could understand you dying for a family member, a child, you know, that that's... You know, Something you have a personal interest in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah like Paul says, you could, you could understand somebody dying even for a good man. But gee, Christ dies for the sinner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he dies for the for those who actually hate him. Enemies, yeah, his enemies, not just that, that's uh, that's totally outside the realm of any humanistic understanding. Okay, um, and now he, uh, James. Uh, move on to another topic, uh, verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> Talks about our humble circumstances, or, or, and he's really talking about probably poverty and riches, how, or worldly possessions. Uh, <clears throat> somebody have that? You guys got your Bibles open here? Yeah. Read it for us, David. 9 through 11? Yeah. Uh, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because a, as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flowers falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. I'm just going to add it to the bottom. <laughs> I, uh, my note here says it, it, it does seem odd that the poor, those in humble circumstances, should take pride in their position. <laughs> if you should be proud of something, what should you be proud of? That you you don't have a lot, that you're in a humble position. Uh, <laughs> why should you be proud of not having very much, of being in a lowly, humble position? James 2.5, well, no. 
we're, this is, we're reading it, James, too fast. I don't know where I'm. That doesn't make any sense, that reference here. Uh, God has, oh yeah, over in chapter 2, I'm sorry, it is in, in the fifth verse of the second chapter. Right, it says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Yeah. So that, that really gives a kind of a rationale. You can be happy and proud, glad, not proud in the sense of that because you're poor somehow that makes you better than somebody else, but uh, glad or happier to rejoice in the fact because God, that's what God chooses. He particularly looks for the weak and the poor. And you look at the biblical history. That's what he's done all through through um, history, isn't it? He doesn't look for the high and mighty to bless. He's looking for the poor. He looks for Hebrew slaves in Egypt. And, and uh, in a sense, he didn't choose Moses when Moses was in the palace. In a, in a very exalted position. He waited till Moses had become a shepherd out in the desert for 40 years before he called Moses, wasn't he? A wanted man. Yeah. <laughs> There's a scene in, I, if any of y'all seen The Chosen? Have y'all watched that series yet? It's it's about it's about Jesus's ongoings, but there's a scene where he's uh, talking with a, a child who says that she doesn't that her family's poor, and he says oftentimes it's better. It's like usually when you when you're poor in stature, you don't have the worries of the world of like all the that all the rich people have. So. Well, is it possible for for a, a multi-millionaire or to be saved? Is it possible sure. to, for someone to have God's favor? Mm -hmm. How is that possible? Because all things are possible. Yeah. It's only possible if that person who has, who's in a very high position realizes how poor he is actually, how dependent and why he, he is on what he has, and that all he has is not of his own possession or right. his own making. In other words, it's possible to be humble and poor in spirit, even though you might have a, a big bank account. But if you don't realize that that doesn't really belong to you, it could be taken away. And in a, in a sense, it's all a gift anyway. Do you, you, know, you say, well, I earned it. I, you know, I worked hard to, to, uh, to make all the money I've made. Well, where did you get the wisdom or the knowledge and the energy exactly. to, to do what you did? And it says in the scriptures, I always say, like you know, the one question we need to ask ourselves constantly is, what do you have or what do I have that I did not receive? And that's a, that will keep you humble. It'll keep you humble if you answer that question the way it ought to be answered. You don't have anything you did not receive. The air you breathe. Right. All of that, even your life itself. Where did you get your life? <laughs> did you invent yourself? <laughs> no. So... 
and it's that sense of humility and that all is a gift that makes it possible for God to bless you and to exalt you. And that's the whole, that's the whole ideology that modern atheists work against when they say that you know, life came about by accident, and that, you know, there is no one who designed it, or there is no God who purposed the world into being, or anything like that, because then you can say, well, I didn't receive it, it just happened, you know, happened due to circumstances. But even then, if it just happened, it's still, it, there's an it there, it just happened, you didn't do it yourself. You didn't give yourself life. <laughs> right. You could say it just happened. It was all an accident of Which material is, forces. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, well, and the, and but, but you didn't give, you didn't do it then. As far as accidents goes, though, the, the conditions in which it needed to happen pretty miraculous. Totally miraculous. Yeah. yeah. But whether you recognize it as miraculous or not, you still didn't do it. But you have to, you have to be willing to acknowledge that. Yeah, that, yeah that's right. that's the key to, thing. To say, what do I have? I didn't receive nothing. Yeah, you have to be willing to acknowledge that. Yeah. And and modern culture would would not acknowledge that. Modern yeah. culture would say, you know, I'm self-made. I I did this. You know, it was my wisdom. It was my choices. It was my doing that resulted in this. My hard work. Of course, James. That's what modern culture would. He, he, he reminds the rich, he says, you're going to disappear. The rich are going to disappear like the flower of the field anyway. These little flowers come up. How long does a flower last? A bloom. The parable of the man with Maybe a bigger size. You know, some flowers, some flowers will bloom only won't last more than a day. <laughs> you can bring them home and put them in a vase and put them in water and all that, but they're going to fade, aren't they? Is this a, the rich are like that. What do you reckon? You may, you may think you're really something, but you're going to fade and die. I'm sorry. You know, you're going to wither away. So you don't really ha have a grasp. You think you've got a grasp on it, but you don't have. It's going to be taken from you. I can't remember which one, but one of the, the Christian financial philosophers talked about you take all of your wealth and put it in the basket of a hot air balloon, and it goes up and how much control do you have over it? And the wealth of any man is pretty much the same way. God controls the wind, he controls direction, how high, how low, all those kinds of things. I was in a Bible class, a teacher Bible class down at the Sun Coast with all these, these old people down there. Talk about old Glad we got old people. <laughs> they're so happy, they're so happy to have a young teacher. <laughs> We're lucky. And, and one of the ladies, she's always got a beautiful smile. She's outlived two husbands. Um, and, uh, and she's recently had an accident and falls and has to use a walker now. So she's 90-some years old already. Um, and, of course, she's losing lots of mobility and 
lots of health problems coming up, but she's always smiling, always thankful. And but she says she feels like she's getting closer and closer to to Jesus every day, even though because and it has to do with the sense that she feels like she's losing a lot. You know, her her life is ebbing away, but it makes her realize how dependent she is and how every everything she has has come from God. Right. You know, realizing your total dependence upon God and and you and, you, and losing something sometimes it's the only way to actually make us realize that it's not ours. It was a gift, and it could be taken. How God graced us, each individual uniquely. Yeah. yeah. And so, it, and that's it. It's leading her to a greater sense of closeness to the Lord. But hopefully, you don't have to wait until you <laughs> you lose it to realize. <laughs> you know, hopefully. You know, you can realize why you still have a lot, if you still have your health, or you still have material wealth. You can recognize God has given this to me, and I'm totally dependent on the Lord for every blessing I enjoy. But you can live your life in that kind of gratitude, because, you know, and that, and, and that means, you know, a real relationship with God. That's what our relationship is, isn't it? How are we related to God? We're related to God as one who depends upon Him for life and health and strength and, and uh, of course, forgiveness. <laughs> That's what it means to be there. You're talking about having a relationship with God. What is that? It's total dependence, isn't it? Humility. Book, line, and sinker. Um, I quote this, this passage from 1 Peter. Peter reminds us, of course, that we are being born with an imperishable seed something that will not perish. All flesh is as grass, the glory like the, like the flower of grass, the grass withers, the flower falls. But the word of the Lord, the word by which we have been born anew, that endures forever. That's the, good, that's the word. The word is the good news that was announced to us right? by which we have been born anew. That's the only eternal thing that we that we enjoy is that new birth. It will never be the life that we have that will never be taken away. Well, uh, maybe we can uh, do the next few verses about perseverance. <clears throat> he's talking. He's already talked about trial earlier. Now he kind of comes back to trial. And, and maybe he's thinking, you know, he's writing to the Jewish Christians scattered around the world. Uh, and he sees them uh, perhaps thinking of the trials they're going through. And, and then he comes back to the question of trial. Here is a matter of temptation. Uh, somebody got that in the scripture? James 1, 12 through 15. 
Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, but when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Okay. Uh, this word uh, for trial is the same word that's sometimes translated temptation. Temptation here, uh, verse 12, you have the word trial, don't you? But then later on he talks about temptation. Then it's the same word. Uh, and is there, what's the connection between trial and temptation? Well, trial any temptation is, is a trial. What? I said any temptation is a trial. Are you, are you going to be... And then what about a trial? Is any trial also a temptation? Not necessarily. It could be, it could be just enduring through suffering. When you're under trial... Test. Is there a temptation? When he has stood the test. So the trial is the test. Um, isn't there a temptation to try to take the easy way out? When you're being tried, when things are hard, when things are difficult. There's always a temptation to take the easy way out, isn't there? Is the easy way out or the usually God's purpose way out? Is that usually God's will? Not to take the easy way out. See, Jesus, Jesus was hungry after 40 days, wasn't he? Here's a stone. He's being tried, isn't he? Do you think he was tempting to, to have, have a, a little bit of bread after 40 days? Yes. Yes. I think so. But that was not God's will for him at that moment, was it? So these, these things aren't really closely related. Um, so he says, uh, but you're blessed if you, when you endure. Here's, here's the need <laughs> for endurance, isn't it? And that requires something we might call courage, fortitude, which is also a, a virtue that which the, even the, uh, the ancient Humanists, the philosophers, have recognized the need for courage and fortitude. But the Christian needs that too, don't they? We recognize that in the, um, in the in the serenity prayer. God grant me serenity to accept the things I can't change. The courage to change what I can. You know, he. We tend to, we tend to, I think we tend to put those worldly values on, on trials and stuff like that, where where we tend to think of it in terms of well, the temptation has to be uh, hardship, okay, and sometimes temptations are not hardships. They're, they're just decisions. They're tests. They're trials. But it's not always. It's not always a matter of I have to do what's the most painful, or I have to do uh, 
the most difficult. It's not always that way. There, there's the right thing to do. Thank you. Sometimes that right thing doesn't well, I don't know. Sometimes it seems to me the right thing is usually the harder. I don't, I don't think it has to be the harder one when we know it's the right thing. Well, but I mean according to the, the natural desires of the place. Mm -hmm. It seems to be... The wrong thing seems to always to be the easier thing. Yeah, I think maybe maybe I'm no, too I, pessimistic. So. No, I think I think it is easier. I think you're right. I think it's easier internally, but it, it doesn't always have to appear to be the, the easier decision. I think it depends on your perspective on that, because I, I feel like if you're, I think that's what you're getting at, is like, if you recognize it to be the right thing, then you take on that task willingly and wholeheartedly, so it doesn't feel as difficult as you may think it may, may be out to be. But, I mean, in some circumstances, yeah, it, it does seem that the easier way is the wrong way because well, of course, yeah, that's we, we can't just we can't just judge it by by worldly standards. Right. I'll always do the harder thing. Right. Of course, okay. you're, you're you're assuming that you have the fortitude to do that. Yeah. And if you do have the fortitude is exactly what you need under under testing and trials to, to do yeah. to make the choice. Right. You, you need to endure. Or, or the stupidity to sit there and keep digging a hole deeper and deeper and get down in the bottom of it, look up and say, now God, help me. You know, you know the person who has fortitude says, you know, I, you know, I really didn't think of doing the alternative. You know, if a soldier is in a very difficult situation, he doesn't think of leaving his buddy in the lurch. Right. That, that doesn't even become an honor. Or like with your, if you're uh, in your family and suffering, you don't you, think it's an alternative to take the easy out. way out and, and abandon your family in a time of need. Got to get my shots. Oh my. <clears throat> Uh, well, um, are we are we going to be tested? Is that almost? Does God test us? Sure. Oh yes. Are we supposed to test God? No. <laughs> yes. We, we're supposed he, he to tell Scott. He tells us in, is it in Micah? No. That, um, uh, pay your offerings and your, and your tithes. Mm -hmm. And not pay, but give. And if you do that, test me. Yeah, he does. Well, yeah. Yeah, but you're I not putting God in the test because God's already promised you, right? But there are warnings about, you know, look at Israel trying to test God. Uh, and, it, and of course, God cannot really be tempted. In a way, you can't you can't put God to the test anyway. You know, he, he's not going to accept the challenge. Right. <laughs> would, would you say that doubt is a form of testing God? What? Would you would you say that doubt is a form of testing God? Like testing God with your doubt, because I feel like some, in some situations you, you get to a point where you like 
you, you get to like a really low spot and you doubt God but then he comes through well, for you but it's like a test the best example I guess is where Satan said to Jesus you know uh, throw yourself off the top of the temple and then he quotes the scripture to him doesn't he right. well, the angels will catch, the angel angel will catch you up so you yeah. won't even bash your foot against the stone so let's see if God will do what he's promised right. he will do and what did, what did Jesus respond what was the response don't test me don't test me the Lord he said yeah. what did he say what was the, how did he put it wasn't it don't test me not test me what is that in Matthew chapter what? Uh, what's that? What is that in? I, I hate these things. I wish I had a Bible with me. Matthew chapter 4, see, verse 7, verse is written seven. again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Yeah, yeah. it's written, you shall not tempt. Don't put him to the test. Right. He's made a promise to you, but don't test him on it. Right. Okay. Well, <clears throat> and um, we are tested. Look at First Peter 1, 6 through 7. I have it quoted here. Uh, Peter says, you rejoice. Even now for a little while you have to suffer various trials. You suffered various trials. God has a purpose actually in giving us a trial. It's the same reason we give students a test to prove that you have learned something, that you are advancing, that you are benefiting. The test proves it, doesn't it? Gives you, or it gives you an opportunity to prove it. Now, if you if you give up and, and you walk out, you know, you don't you don't have a proof of what. Maybe maybe you did learn the material, but you don't have the proof, do you? You've got to finish the test. And so he says, what what are we trying to prove? What needs to be proven through our test? so that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold faith is more precious than any wealth you have to have faith though perishable is tested by fire may be found to praise and glory and honor when jesus christ is revealed the purpose of testing is so that your faith can be proven you say you have faith well like somebody who says, I've learned the material in class. Well, do you have the proof? <laughs> well, well I, I didn't want to take a test. <laughs> you say you believe. Well, God's going to test you. He tested Abraham, didn't he? All right. And we'll be tested. But the wonderful thing about that is that then you, you, it's like with you're, you're, uh, you're looking for panning for gold and you come up with this yellow stone. But you, it looks like gold, but there is something called fool's gold in it. How do you test it? 
you put it in a crucible right. and you heat it, right? And that will prove whether it is really gold or not. Uh, and God puts us in a crucible. Uh, somebody has said that marriage is a crucible. <laughs> marriage will test you, won't it? Oh, yes. You ever think about that? How you're tested in marriage? <coughs> when uh, your wife or the, your partner is irritating you? You get angry? Huh? Engagement. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but he says God cannot be tested. And I have a, I have a thought, I, a food for thought. The question I have here, why is it that God cannot be tested or tempted? He cannot be tempted, which of course is the same thing as a test. You're welcome. I know it can we, we are tempted, first of all, because where does temptation really lead to sin with us? It begins with our desires, the, these inclination of desires we want, right. we desire, we've got these lusts. And th now that, the, the desires, let's, let's take, well, let's take sex, <laughs> right? You're, you're all guys here, you know. Now, I'm, I'm a little bit past at my age. Past the, the, Takes the, longer to think about what it was like when I was, when I met my wife when I was 20 years old. You know, and the fire was burning. I'm, you're talking about, you know. You know, but the fires are baked now. But I can remember, you know, how fire, how, how they were burning back then, you know. There is a, now that in itself is not sin, though. I don't care how strong a set, you know, desire you have for sex. God given. It's not a sin. I don't care how hungry you are. It's not a sin to want somebody else's food. <laughs> uh, but he says uh, the temp, the temp, that uh, that is a temptation, though. Your desire gives too too temptation. And then the giving in to that, that's, that, of course, leads to sin. And then, of course, sin gives birth to what? Death. 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 That's the process. But the temptation depends upon our, the fact that we've got this desire. Adam and Eve, they wanted the desire for something beautiful and good. Uh, and that offered the opportunity for temptation. Now, why is it God cannot be tempted? Is it that God has no desire? He doesn't have these lusts or desires like we have for, for money or wealth or sex or pleasure or prestige. He has no desire for any of that. Because he is inherently and eternally satisfied and blessed in and of himself, so he has a, he has no desire for anything. <laughs> it's like if you're completely satisfied, completely satisfied, then all your desires are gone. That's what satisfaction means. God is entirely and always eternally satisfied, happy, full. 
he can give, and by the way, he can give without being depleted. He isn't depleted by giving. So you can't tempt God. Because he has no desire anyway. And maybe that will be why in heaven will we be tempted to commit sin? I don't think so. No. And that will be because we have no desires. I think we're, we're, I think we're, that's true. we're fully and happily blessed, aren't we? Okay, well, it's time to go. Uh, any special request for prayer? Well, we'll just thank God that we're all blessed then. Right. Mike, would you lead us in a closing prayer? Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we are all so blessed and uh, thank you for your love for us and ask you to help us to show that to other people around us today and keep us safe and our families and uh, till we meet here again next Friday. And just thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.